Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 49 with Jeff Givens. And like I say, I had a lot of time on my hands and I, and I started thinking, well, I, I want to get into this coffee business somehow. And, 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 and so roasting seemed to be just kind of the ideal thing. So when I got back, I looked around and, and, and found a, a roaster and rebuilt it. And that's kind of how we started. We uh, started going to the farmer's markets. That's how, that's how really, the, I just used to use them as a marketing tool on top of obviously selling coffee. We used to uh, sell coffee in cups or we'd uh, give away samples. And I actually uh, picked up a lot of Java Passport members uh, through that because uh, markets are seasonal. And of course, at the end of the season, people were asking, well, how can we continue to get the coffee? And so I said, well, I'll be happy to uh, ship it to your house. So that's how we started. And, and I believe it was uh, 13 years ago. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode, we have Jeff Givens, owner of Southern Skies Coffee Roasters. We talk about how he started his business, his successes, and some challenges, including marketing. And of course, we dive into coffee talk, getting into brewing ratios, roasting, gear, and thoughts on the addition of cream and sugar. Spoiler alert, Jeff says, drink what you like. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you're into coffee, this one's for you. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. All right, welcome everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And on today's episode, we have Jeff Givens of Southern Skies Coffee Roasters. Southern Skies has a Java Passport program, which lets you have freshly roasted coffee shipped directly to your door every month. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. And full disclosure, uh, I believe you are a member of Java Passport as well. Uh, yeah, I actually have a cup uh, right now that I'm drinking. And um, what do you think about Java Passport? I mean, you've been, what, about what three years now you've been uh, subscribing? Yeah, it's been way longer than that. I feel like it's been five. I mean, my wow. kids are going to be eight this summer. And I think like back then, like seven years ago, I mean, time really flies. So yeah. we've been doing the coffee for quite a while. And uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> it's You know, it's really nice having coffee delivered to your home. I mean, first of all, people aren't really wanting to go out for stuff much anymore. But for me, having quality coffee at home, I mean, it seems so expensive. These, I guess I know why people do it, like going to Starbucks or coffee shop every morning. But when you look at the cost of that, just spending the money on some high quality coffee at your house and making it uh, is my preferred method. Well, I mean, if, if, you take the really, if you take the extra care to do it at home, um, I mean, you can really make your 
your money goes stretch further because you know what's a cup of coffee at a at a cafe? I mean, three fifty four dollars sometimes if you get a you know a latte or something like that. And uh, yeah, you can actually have fresh fresh roasted fresh ground coffee at home uh, for probably one third the cost. And it's a little bit inconvenient, but um, I think it's worth it. At least I hope my customers think it's worth it. I'm sure you've figured it out, but how many cups in general do you get out of one bag? Uh, how many cups? Well, it's funny. Uh, you could probably put you could put the uh, the link in after after we quit recording here. But I made a video on YouTube. It's up, and it tells the ratios of brewing, and so. It's it's hard to say how many cups. I think it worked out to about thirty cups of coffee per pound, but uh, I, I may be wrong. It's been a long time since I figured that out. But the video I made and it tells you the ratios of coffee to water, and all you really need is a kitchen scale because a lot of times the 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 way the industry measures a cup of coffee versus a, a standard cup, which is eight ounces, um, it's different. So on your, you know, your coffee makers, it'll say X number of cups, but it's really not the standard measuring cup measurement. Yeah, I love that. I think I've shared that a number of times, your ratio for coffee. I know it gets into kind of coffee geekdom to break out your kitchen scale and start weighing out your coffee, but I find it does make a really good cup. Well, if my 10-year-old boy can do it, I think anybody can. And he makes a great cup of coffee, by the way. <laughs> we tra- we've trained him well. How old was he when he started drinking coffee well he doesn't really drink much coffee uh the first time he ever tried coffee he was probably four years old i mean took a sip here and there and and i really didn't recoil so i I figured that was a good a good uh start but um yeah he'll he'll drink a little bit here and there but um really really doesn't drink much coffee how old were you when you started drinking coffee? Do you remember? You know, it's funny. Uh, I grew up in the South, and I don't know how the culture is in other parts of uh, the United States or even the world in regards to that. But uh, coffee was considered like an adult drink. So that was something that, that adults did. It was almost akin to smoking cigarettes. And um, I remember the first time I made a cup of coffee. It was some instant coffee. And I was like 15 and my grandmother looked at me kind of funny and you know, she was like, you're drinking coffee? Very judgmentally. But it's funny, I didn't really start drinking coffee uh, daily, probably until after I joined the army and moved to, uh, I was stationed in Panama. And of course, a lot of coffee has grown in Panama and I, I tried it there. And uh, it was really a different experience than what I was used to in the army mess halls and and fast food restaurants. And it was a good experience. And that's probably when I started drinking coffee on a daily basis. Yeah. Much like uh, I've talked about beer. My parents like to buy, I guess my parents like to buy cheap everything, right? Like I say, I didn't like drinking beer because my dad drank old Milwaukee, the same thing with coffee. Like I just remember that, I don't know, kind of like burnt smell. They were buying whatever the the grocery store brand was mm-hmm. and they would drink it really weak. Not that they yeah. were, you know, my dad's uh, benchmark for a good coffee maker is one that it came out like really quick, like urine, you know, like you'd put in the water and then 30 seconds, you had a pot of coffee, not that it sat on the grounds. So they liked a weak cup of cheap coffee. And I was never really impressed when I was younger until I started having better coffee. Yeah, it's funny you draw the uh, 
parallel to beer. Um, I never really liked beer growing up. Uh, I mean, it was something that, you know, it, there's a teenager, you know, you just sneak a beer here and there, go to a party. And it was just something you kind of just drank for the effect. And even uh, when I joined the Army, uh, a lot of people drank beer, and I really wasn't a big fan of it. And then uh, the guys that had been in Germany, they'd tell me, well, the reason you don't like beer is because you haven't had real beer. And once you go to Germany or Europe, someplace that really does beer well, then you'll understand. And granted, this is back in the late 80s. Uh, this is before uh, lots of microbreweries uh, were in the United States. And so, yeah, pretty much all the options were were just the, the uh, generic, you know, Budweiser, Miller, Coors. That was, you know, basically what there was there. And I didn't like any of it. Do you remember who kind of kicked off the coffee boom, like in grocery stores? I mean, I don't even remember, like, when did we go from just having Maxwell House on the shelves to having anything better? And what was the first? Like, I grew up in Massachusetts, so we had Dunkin' Donuts was like the benchmark for like good coffee that wasn't the Maxwell House coffees. Do you remember like what year or do you know when that started? Um, I would say it was in the late 90s. I think it was, you know, when the internet, when a lot of people started getting online and started sharing a lot of things, um, you would start reading about these uh, espresso bars and things like that. I guess in Seattle is really where the espresso boom kicked off and it kind of spread throughout. And um, my background with kind of discovering coffee was, you know, I started in the army uh, in Panama. And then I remember... After leaving there and moving to this area, I had had a, an espresso in Nordstrom, of all places, down in Pentagon City Mall. And it was the first time I had a drink like that. And I was just blown away. And so I wanted to learn how to make that drink at home. And um, I bought a little cheap, uh, they call them steam, uh, steam toys, espresso toys, uh, a little 20 or $30 espresso maker, and started messing around with it. And... Um, and when I was in the army, I was also stationed in Korea, and they have a you know strong tea culture and a cafe culture. Uh, they also have lots of uh, coffee bars there, and and um, the coffee wasn't really great, but a lot of people would go. A lot of young people would go there in lieu of uh, going out to drink beer, alcohol, whatever. And there was a very big social aspect of it uh, that I appreciated. And uh, every kind of every step along the way. I was adding another piece to the uh, of the puzzle, and um, so there was the the kind of the quality aspect I or the differentiation I experienced in Panama, and then the social aspect of it. And then when I came here, you know, I started trying to improve the quality and try to replicate some of the drinks I'd had. And uh, I found a local roaster, uh, which still exists to this day in Mallorca, and. Um, actually took a job uh, working in their Silver Spring coffee shop on the weekends uh, just because I really wanted to learn more about coffee and how it was done professionally. I guess the evolution continued until uh, I was uh, stationed uh, in the Middle East uh, there in 2004-2005 and had a lot of time on my hands. And all this time I had been uh, trying to, you know, I realized I wanted to work and coffee somehow. I didn't know exactly how. Uh, I'm not, in spite of the fact that I was in the military, I'm really not an early riser. And uh, roasting seemed to be 
uh, a good thing to get into because I control the quality and get into a different aspect of coffee as well as not having to get up really early because, as you know, uh, coffee shops that open at 11 o'clock probably aren't very profitable. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, uh, we lived in Seattle and Emily worked for Seattle's Best Coffee Mm -hmm. and we moved out there and we only had one car. And if I wanted the car for the day, I had to drive her to work. And that meant getting up at four o'clock in the morning (laughs) to drive to downtown Seattle and drop her off because she was a manager. And I think having her there, she opened up the shop at like 430 in the morning or something down in Westlake Center to get the coffee going. I mean, it was nice because if I were off that day, I mean, she was done work at like noon. I would show up and pick her up and (laughs) grab some food at 11. But yeah, that getting up at four in the morning was for the birds. No, it's not for me. Yeah, you probably don't do very many private breakfasts, I imagine. I hate them. I don't want to do... I mean, first of all, I don't love cooking breakfast food anyway, and I don't think there's money in it. But yeah, every once in a while, I'll do a breakfast. I did do a 6 a.m. breakfast one time. Oh, my God. And yeah, it was for someone who, you know, I don't know, whatever their schedule was, they worked like afternoons. So they uh, wanted to have a very nice brunch type thing. And I remember they wanted steak and eggs. And I I was just like, wow, I'm making these people steak at six o'clock in the morning. It was so bizarre. And they were, I don't know, in like Silver Spring or Rockville or somewhere down there. So yeah, every once in a while you do that kind of thing, but I'm more of the night person as well. Yeah, same here. So uh, yeah, so I worked at Mayorga uh, for a while and then I was stationed, uh, deployed uh, to the Middle East for a year. And like I said, I had a lot of time on my hands and I, and I started thinking, well, I, I want to get into this coffee business somehow. And, 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 and so roasting seemed to be just kind of the ideal thing. Uh, so when I got back, I looked around and, and, and found a, a roaster and rebuilt it. And that's kind of how we started. We uh, started going to the farmer's markets. Uh, we we used to do two farmer's markets a week, uh, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And um, that's how that's how really the I just used to use them as a marketing tool on top of obviously selling coffee. We used to uh, sell coffee in cups or we'd uh, give away samples. And I actually uh, picked up a lot of Java Passport members uh, through that because uh, markets are seasonal. And of course, at the end of the season, people were asking, well, how can we continue to get the coffee? And so I said, well, I'll be happy to uh, ship it to your house. So that's how we started. And and I believe it was uh, 13 years ago. And we started and we still have the same, some of the same customers uh, today that have uh, stuck with us this entire time. Um, I've watched their kids grow up and uh, it's, uh, it's really funny because every month, some of those people I see once a month and uh, it's just like time flies by. and, And now some of the kids uh, who were really small are now drinking the coffee as well. Get them while they're young. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of one of the things I love is talking about how businesses grow and marketing and things like this. And, you know, I think, well, with you, definitely kind of this, I don't know if you'd call it guerrilla marketing, but also this free sample kind of mentality. So for our listeners, I didn't know you at all. And I think you started following me on Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah we're going to say like 10 years ago probably and yeah. we built this relationship and you know i know you just like sent me a dm and said hey i'm local to you i make coffee can i send you a bag of coffee like totally out of the blue i had no idea who you were you just found me on the internet probably thought some creep 
Yeah. yeah. And then, and you know, but I'm always up for free samples. So uh, anyone out there who wants to send me some things for a potential sponsorship, I'm open. Um, but you know, you sent me a bag of coffee and it was great. And that's kind of how it started. And now, you know, we're not just like uh, business associates, we're friends. I mean, you've yeah, yeah. been to my house, yeah. your kids have come to my kid's birthday. It's really interesting. And I just, that's what I love about the internet is being able to connect with people. But that idea of getting in front of someone and just saying, Hey, you look like a guy who likes good coffee. Can I send you some? And now, you know, 10 years later, we're still on this plan of, of buying coffee from you. And I think that's, um, well, I think it speaks for itself, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a good product and, you know, as markets get saturated, you know, I don't know if someone else wanted to send me a bag of coffee tomorrow, I don't know that I would change. Um, so you do get kind of set in your ways. I, but I didn't have any coffee that I was buying on a regular basis back then. Well, I appreciate it. I also remember you went on the fishing trip, right? The yes, we did. That was a Steve Vilnet who used to be uh, the director of fisheries marketing uh, for the Department of uh, Maryland. Uh, he worked for the DNR. Yeah, that's right. And that was cool. But I also remember that, like, you brought a bag with samples of coffee sure. with you to that. You know, just that idea of like you show up, you bring a bag of samples of coffee, and then you're you're giving them to everyone. I just love the hustle there. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do, right? But it was, it's a lot of fun. And, and I just enjoy sharing, uh, sharing and letting people, you know, experience something that they may have not experienced before because it's, it's really funny to see people's uh, kind of their eyes get wide open when they, when they get um, some coffee that's been roasted, you know, within, within uh, 72 hours or so, because that really makes a huge difference in quality. It's just uh, the freshness of the, of the coffee. Uh, off of the roasting because uh, you know, people don't, I think a lot of people don't realize that coffee uh, is pretty perishable. It's not like uh, rice or flour or something like that, that uh, you may argue with me about the flour thing, but um, you know, people, a lot of people think because of how coffee is sold on the market shelves uh, that you could just buy it and, and then just uh, stick it on the shelf and wait for family to come over to make a cup of coffee and um, it's, it's quite perishable. So, you know, the freshness of the roasting really makes a huge difference in my opinion. So that's the turnover time is like 72 hours. Like you send them out 72 hours after roasting. Is that what I'm hearing? Generally, generally it's sooner than that. Generally I'll roast on one day and then uh, pack and ship the following day. So, uh, you know, it's 24 to maybe 48 hours. And uh, I challenge you to go to the grocery store and, and, if, if they put a roast on date on their coffee, take a look at it or look at the expiration date. And um, it may, who knows, it may say a year from now. And um, I guarantee you, that coffee may have been fantastic when it was uh, initially roasted. But after a year sitting on, or six months or even three months sitting on the supermarket shelf, it's, it's going to be flat. So do you roast just once a month and send it out? Or do you have your customers on different plans where you're roasting once a week? How's that work out for you? Well, the, the, the Java Passport system is uh, or program, it's, it's once a month. Um, and I roast up everybody's uh, at the same time and then uh, ship it out. Or some folks I, who are very local to me, I actually deliver it to their house. I also have a, an e-tailing aspect of the business so i have a web web store and everything and people can order coffee there and i'll roast to order for them as well 
And then uh, I do some wholesale roasting for uh, restaurants and, uh, and some farm markets. And so, of course, but, but for any order I get, it's always roasted uh, to order. So you only have one kind of coffee at a time. Is that right? And it changes. I know with the Java Passport, like I don't order anything. So it just comes from different estates and has different roast levels. That's how it works. Correct? You're right. And, and the, the, the idea behind Java, the passport, the Java Passport is, uh, is you can experience coffees from all different regions, all uh, different kind of coffees. And it is a roaster's choice uh, because I really try to focus on freshness, uh, not only obviously right off the roast, but also what's in season because uh, the coffee goes into season uh, during, in different parts of the world at different times. So it um, doesn't all come into to season at the same time. So I'll, I'll reach out to my importer and then I'll take a look at what, they're, what they have in stock right now. And they'll send me some samples and, and, uh, of the freshest stuff they've got, what's in season. And um, whatever's the best, then I'll go ahead and, and, and order that and then subsequently you know, roast it up for you guys. Was there a big learning curve to that? And have you ever had anything you weren't happy with? Like, did you ever roast a whole batch, brew it up and say, uh, this isn't really working for me? Well, I try not to do that because it can be an expensive mistake. Um, I do a sample roast. I have a sample roaster, uh, so I can roast a half pound at a time. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll experiment with different roast levels for that particular coffee uh, to try to mitigate uh any bad experiences. I also will get sam- pre, uh, samples from the roaster, I'm oh, sorry, from the uh, importer, and then I'll roast them up. So uh, before I ever commit to a bag of coffee, I've already tried it and make sure it's really good and make sure I could roast it up, uh, you know, to where I'm pleased with it. I have had some coffees which I haven't been happy with and ultimately uh, I've uh, dumped them. But it's, uh, yeah, it sucks to have to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was talking about. I've had some friends on the show who are distillers and brewers and the same thing, you know, they make a whole batch. I can't imagine making a huge batch of beer commercially and just saying this is garbage and having to dump it. If you're concerned with quality, I mean, it's really a long-term, I take a long uh, view of things and uh, it's it's just certainly not worth it to send out something that's substandard because it's going to hurt you in the end. And it's just not, it doesn't reflect well on you uh, as a business. If you are, you know, quality focused, which I am. So what's the setup for roasting? Do you have to have a lot of equipment or is it literally one piece so of equipment? The roaster itself, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty big roaster. I could roast uh, about 20 pounds uh, at a time. And uh, visually, if you can imagine like a clothes dryer, it, it has a drum in it uh, and it's in it. You, preheat it uh and it is uh runs off of uh propane gas and electricity but the heat's provided by propane uh but but what so what happens is uh you preheat the roaster and then uh, once it's up to temperature you dump the roast uh the coffee in and then it takes about 15 minutes uh for it to get to uh the roast level which you desire and um i come from an engineering background so i take lots of data while i'm doing it um, so every 30 seconds or so, I'm, you know, measuring the temperature across a temperature time scale, And then, but the very end, it's very craft, uh, oriented because you have to really look at the coffee and smell the coffee. It's, it's much like, you know, when you have something underneath the salamander 
And uh, I mean, you can't just stick it on the saddle and forget about it. You have to look at it and in literally seconds, uh, you can have seconds uh, destroy something or not, right? It's either burned or it's, or it's you know, perfect. I've been <laughs> so, there for, for sure. So similar situation uh, with the roasting. And, and I have a, a trier uh, which goes into the coffee as, as it's roasting. I can look at it, I can smell it, and I can see it. And that comes with a lot of experience of, uh, of, of some bad batches, uh, but you learn. And, um, but it's a very sensory process. Uh, but back to the equipment, I've got a big roaster, um, and then I also have some packaging machines and stuff. But it's a it's a significant investment uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it on a, a large scale like that. And you're a fairly small operation. I mean, you don't have employees and everything, and it's not your full time job. Any any plans on doing that? I mean, ultimately, do you have a goal of uh, being like the <laughs> coffee king and growing the business, or is it always something that's just gonna be well, right now, like I say, I have a, uh, another job of, that brings in most of the income. The beauty of doing it the way I do do it is that um, I can really scale the business up to the point where I feel comfortable, where there's a nice balance uh, of my time, and uh, I don't have to I don't have to grow too large where I can lose control of quality. And so, right now, I'm at that perfect balance. In fact, I've actually turned down business because it just seems like it would be um, more than I could handle and still maintain quality. So right now, uh, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to kind of keep it where I, where I am right now. And, uh, and we'll see as we, as we move forward, uh, maybe I'll move into a larger business, but, um, right now I'm gonna keep it where it is. I've actually had, uh, like angel investors reach out to me and I've turned them down because I don't want to be bought up by someone. We were just talking about this, my wife and I this morning about that. And, I've seen a couple things go sideways, not in coffee, but other small businesses like where chefs partner with a business partner. And next thing you know, you're out of the business that you created. And that's not something that I want to happen to my business. And yeah. And if you stay small and uh, in control, you can control everything, uh, the quality and the finances and all of that. But uh, back to uh, not having employees, uh, my wife helps me a lot. Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she helps me a whole lot with it, uh, with uh, the packaging and, and uh, shipping and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to downplay her role in this. And the kids will be old enough soon that you can put them to work. They do a little here and there. They, they like taking the packages into the post office. Although right now, we, uh, we keep them out of there. I just put them on a mask and get in there as quickly and out as quickly as possible. So I know you're not looking to grow, but do you have any new initiatives or plans or anything you're working on? You know, we've been taking a look uh, with all the protests right now going on and the increased awareness of uh, disparities. And uh, we've been taking a look at what, how we're doing business and, and seeing where we could improve. And uh, truth be told, we haven't been doing enough. And so I have uh, reached out to some black-owned uh, businesses. One is an importer who's based in Baltimore. And we're going to be establishing a relationship with them. Uh, actually, today, the uh, the, the shipment, the samples should come and I'll be cupping those. And um, my plan is, and I haven't announced this to any, this is, this is, uh, I'm premiering this announcement here, but uh, the plan is to form a long-term uh, relationship with them as well as uh, I'm going to have a feature of coffee and we're going to donate 1% of the profits to coffee 
to uh, a charitable organization. Uh, we're still evaluating some organizations right now to make sure that you know they're they have a, a proven track record of uh, of really making change and doing and, and doing things uh, well with their money, managing their money, and also you know have a proven track record of making a difference because we want we want to make uh, as big of a difference as we can. So. I haven't come up with a name for it yet. Uh, it's very uh, nascent right now, but uh, you'll be see- hearing from me uh, in the near future about that program. That's very exciting. It's phenomenal to see all these businesses kind of just looking at what they can do. I mean, I think a lot of us have been complacent myself uh, as well and just trying to think about the bigger picture. I mean, at least in food, I feel a lot of us have tried to support small businesses, local businesses. I do try and do that as much as I can. I know that I don't do that enough, but then also giving back to these organizations and really trying to make a difference. So so what are some ways that people can make a better cup of coffee at home? Do you have any low-hanging fruit, best practices? Uh, there's so many ways to make coffee now, you know, between your traditional brewer, the pour over, the French press. What are your thoughts on just making coffee at home? Well, uh, the style of coffee is really, whether it's a French press or a pour-over brewer or an espresso machine, um, regardless of the style that you enjoy, uh, what really matters is obviously using very good coffee and uh, making sure you're using enough coffee because that's you were, t- you were alluding to the fact that your dad really liked uh, weak coffee. In, uh, in Brazil, they call it chafe, which means like, uh, a mix between coffee and tea because it's so light. But uh, make sure that you're using enough coffee to water ratio, and then uh, and make sure your equipment is clean and the water water quality is good and the water temperature is good. You really want to be able to extract the best out of the coffee, and that's only you can only do that with uh, hot enough water, really hot water that's right off the boil. And also, a, a key missing element for a lot of people is a, a grinder. Grinder is actually as important as the brewer. Uh, unfortunately, grinders are good. Grinders are more much more expensive than a brewer. So, on the hierarchy of things, people tend to think about the the grinder as being second. Uh, but your your majority of your money should probably go into the grinder versus the brewer. But yeah, uh, a good. A grinder is an investment, um, but you can get a good one. And we've we've used our grinder for 15 years now, and it's use it every day, and it works great. So, I thought I was going to be fancy, and a couple of years ago bought a hand grinder. It's you know one of the um, you know whatever burr grinders that uh, what I don't know what they make the the plates out of. Is it like stone or something? And you know, man, it takes like 20 minutes to hand grind my coffee for tomorrow. And every time I break that thing out, Emily kind of eye rolls and it's just like, do you really want to spend 20 minutes hand grinding your coffee? So we have to figure out a better way to do that. Yeah, it can be a workout for sure. It is. And we just got a new coffee maker that has a grinder in it, but I have no idea the quality of that. Um, We inherited the coffee pot from a friend who was done with it. So I don't know. I've never tried it. I would just go to, uh, if you want to get, Wirecutter has, you know, New York Times website where they review different appliances and things like that. I think they have a pretty good uh, assortment of grinders they recommend. Um, you can get, you know, three different levels, uh, whether or not you want to get the uh, the Mercedes-Benz or the Hyundai. Uh, well, Hyundai is probably as good as Mercedes-Benz nowadays, but uh, showing my age. But, you know, di- different levels and different, obviously, different uh, price points for grinders. But 
yeah, I'm not up to date with that, so I'm probably not the expert on on grinders right now, since uh, since we bought our grinder so long ago and it works great. Uh, but I would check out the wire cutter and see and see what they recommend. Uh, as far as brewers, uh, Bonavita is a, a company that has some really good brewers uh, for the price. I mean, you can get a really nice brewer drip brewer for about 120 bucks, and uh, we have one, and I use it all the time, and it's great. Uh, it gets the uh, it gets the water hot enough, and um, you brew into a thermal carafe, which is uh, don't so don't ever get one of those uh, with a with the, that heat the coffee because all it does is burn the coffee. Uh, brew into a vacuum carafe and just put the lid on it, and um, that's the best way to do it. Most of them have the warmer under them, so you're saying don't even use those. No, like don't. you brew you brew your coffee and then pour it into something to keep it warm. Well, it actually, mine actually brews directly into the thermal carafe. Uh, so once it goes in there, and the, and the carafe is super efficient. So you could, um, not that I'd want to, but you could put a cap on it and put the lid on it, and it'll keep the coffee piping hot for like an hour and a half. And which, you know, coffee's, a, a pot of coffee is not going to last very long around us. So, but yeah, uh, the ones brew into there and don't ever reheat the coffee because what happens is, um, it can actually turn rancid, and uh, as you can imagine, it's not a very uh, tasty cup of coffee after that. That's interesting. I'm sure I've had rancid coffee. I don't know um, exactly, but yeah, I mean, I've had leftover reheated coffee. I've had coffee that we've poured into a cup and stuck in the fridge uncovered, and then the next day it's like kind of funky. Like I think we have this iced coffee, and then you're just kind of like, this isn't that good. I believe that's why people put a lot of sugar and a lot of milk into their coffee. Uh, to overcome those things. Very controversial topic. You're not a fan of cream. Like, do you personally, you don't personally put cream or sugar in your coffee, do you? I typically do not. Um, that's, uh, it's, I'm not, it's not that I'm against that at all. In fact, you drink coffee the way you want to drink it. If it, if it, if it makes you happy, then, then drink it because ultimately, isn't that what it's all about is, uh, you know, pleasure and a little bit of caffeine, but, uh, you want to enjoy it. Uh, but I found that uh, if you if you drink, my experience and some of the experiences of others uh, that I witnessed, if uh, you drink a, a better cup of coffee, uh, you'll find that you actually you don't need uh, to add uh, sugar to it, or 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 milk or cream to it because um, it's just not necessary. So a lot of uh, a lot of, I, I think a lot of coffee sins are overcome by uh, adding lots of additives to it. Well, I think one of the most interesting things I've heard is I saw Ferran Adria talk. It's probably been like 12 years ago. And he talks about this. He said, you know, chefs, it's funny. They hate blind seasoning. Like, you know, a plate of food comes out of a restaurant and people automatically put salt and pepper in yeah. it. But he said 99% of the people blind season their coffee, right? Like, especially in a coffee shop, you go into any coffee shop and you say, oh, I'll take, you know, one cream, two sugars. He said, but you didn't even try it first. Like right. this cup of coffee that's this style from Starbucks is different from this coffee at Dunkin' Donuts from this one. Every roast is a little different and not that it's bad or wrong to put cream and sugar in it, but you should be taking that coffee and then trying it and then adjust it based on that. And that's, you know, not something that we even think about here in the United States. You just go into the coffee shop and say, you know, I'll take that with one cream, two sugars, but you're basically blind seasoning it. I mean, your barista isn't trying the coffee and adjusting based on that. And maybe they should, maybe there's some high end coffee shops that do that. I don't know. 
Well, uh, I think it, I think a large part of that is because coffee is such a ritualistic part of the day. And so people are kind of drinking it. Uh, it's in the morning, so a lot of people's brains are foggy. They don't want to think about a lot. Uh, so they're just uh, mindlessly going through a routine that they've done, you know, every day of their adult life. And so that's what they do. And people and, and human beings, we, we love routine. We love consistency and all of that. But, uh, yeah, it's really with anything if you really want uh, to have a, a better sensory experience, you know, you kind of want to adjust it to the way you like it. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Um if I ever find myself somewhere, if I'm on the road and I have to go into a coffee shop, that's like I say, I don't have time to research and find out what's the best one. I just go to Starbucks or whatever. I'll get the coffee and, and uh, I'll try it. And I usually get the drip. And uh, sometimes I'll, I'll try it and I'll put a little bit of, I, I never put sugar in coffee, but I'll put a little bit of uh, uh, milk or cream in the coffee. Yeah. I sometimes like a little half and half in there. I don't do sugar. I used to do, milk and sugar when I was younger and now like maybe just a little hit of half and half in there. Yeah. I think, you know, as far as the sugar goes, uh, I think that's as in Americans, we like a lot, a lot of things have sugar in them, a lot of hidden sugar as you, as you well know, and things. And when we start weaning ourselves off of that, uh, we find that, uh, you really, you find that you really don't need it as much. Um, that's how I like my iced coffee, though. I don't think I've ever had black iced coffee. Like, for whatever reason, that's not my thing. I'll take a nice mug of black coffee in the morning. But in the afternoon, if I'm going to have iced coffee, I want it to have both milk or cream and sugar. And not overly sweet, not that syrupy sweet, but just like something, I don't know, that's just how I've always drank my iced coffee. And for me, that's like almost like an indulgence as I love a good afternoon cup of like cold, creamy a little sweet iced coffee with some ice. And yeah, no, it's great. Uh, during the summer, uh, when it's warm outside to have that, but, uh, I, I never had it without milk and sugar in it either until I tried, uh, I believe it was an Ethiopian Yurka Chefe and I tried it, uh, without any type of anything in it. It didn't have sugar, it didn't have uh, milk in it. And it was fantastic. But that being said, uh, your chefe is a very distinctive uh, type of coffee. It, it's almost has a tea-like characteristic to it, so uh, it really worked well without having to add anything else into it. Do you still go out and try a bunch of different coffees at the store? Do you go to the grocery store and pick up a a bag that you've never heard of just to try it? I, I'm the worst for that. No, I don't. <laughs> really, not not looking at what else is out there and, and trying different things. I. Used to in the past, but I think that part of my education uh, is kind of over with because uh, because there are yeah I, I used to do that but you can only drink so much bad coffee and after a while it's like well yeah I know what I'm going to get. Do you like acidity in coffee? Because I really hate it. I've had some coffees. I don't know if that's a trend now, but it seems like you go and get these coffees, and I especially notice it with like the nitro cold brews from you know like the really well known places it almost tastes like like there's lemon juice in there and i find it really off putting so there has been a trend uh for a while to lightly roast coffees uh and some of i would some i would actually call them under roasted some that i've tried and these are at coffee uh events so it's not like you know people didn't know what they're doing and it's really not my favorite. Uh, I like acidity in coffee, but when it's under roasted, it's actually almost an astringent sour flavor. 
Uh, and that I do not like at all. I don't, I don't understand what would be desirable about that. I do like acidity in coffee, um, but not to, again, not under roasted, but uh, like, for example, a lot of East African coffees uh, do have a high amount of acidity in them and they're wonderful coffees. So it's hard to say when you say acidity, uh, to me, I'm not exactly sure what you're. I'm talking sour, like I, sour. You know, yeah. I really wanted to get into these. You know, you see all these like nitro cold brew, like Stumptown and whatever these really well known blue bottle that you just like pick up out of the fridge at the grocery store. And every one I've gotten, like it's disgusting. And you're paying like three dollars for them, and you pop them open, and it's to me, I would just say sour. It's almost like having like a sour beer, like a goza or something. And I just don't understand the draw of that at all. I will go out and I will, I'm, I'm going to seek that out because I want to find out exactly what, how, what my experience is compared to yours with those and see what you're talking about. Um, but I, yeah, I want to try that because I'd like to understand, you know, the trends and what they're doing and, and, and all that. So edu- educate your palate. It's always a good thing. Don't start making sour cold brew, but I do love your, your cold brew concentrate re- recipe and that's on your website or somewhere, isn't it? Was that a blog yeah. post or something? And I've sent it to you a couple of times as well. And I think I uh, brought some cold brew concentrate over to you as well. You did. And we, for years had the recipe on our fridge. So now as we get back into summertime and drinking more i'm sure we'll be making batches of that because that's really an awesome way to to make your iced coffee yeah we can i can dig that up and uh we can put in the show notes uh but essentially what the cold brew concentrate is is taking uh coffee and uh grinding it up and then just uh, steeping it in cold water in the in the refrigerator for about 12 hours and then you filter off all the solids and then you have a resulting concentrate which you can then dilute either with cold water or milk. Um, and it makes a really refreshing drink in the summer. I always thought that was so weird. 20 plus years ago when we were living in Seattle, they used to do that at SBC where Emily worked and they called it the toddy method. And if uh, they had, yeah, these, yeah. you know, it was almost like the sun tea that everyone is into, you know, you throw right, tea right. bags and water and put out. And I thought it was so gross and weird. And Emily's like, well, for our iced coffee, we just throw the coffee in this thing and let it sit. I'm like, Really? That's how you make iced coffee? That's kind of gross. But I guess they were really ahead of the time. You know, that was Seattle in the year 2001. And I just remember thinking, this isn't how you make iced coffee. Well, the extraction is really different because you're using cold water. So you're not extracting the same compounds uh, out of coffee that you would uh, or the same way as you would if it were hot water. So a lot of the acidity that you would pull out of it when it's hot, you don't get in the cold brew. So it's a very smooth, uh, smooth brew. So if you're not a fan, if people out there aren't a fan of acidity, try some cold brew, uh, brewed with that method. And I think you'll, uh, you'll see a difference. Now I think I have to go make a batch of that this afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, we do too. So what has been one or a couple of your biggest challenges as a independent business owner? Are there, I'm sure you've had surprises or things you didn't think about, but um, kind of looking back on your decade in having a coffee business, what are some of the big things that you've had to deal with? I would say the biggest challenge is uh, marketing uh, because I'm a terrible marketer. I have, uh, I've been on, I've been on TV. I, we did a morning show in, uh, in, in DC. 
And uh, I thought that was going to like be, you know, that's where we were going to tip over and everything. And I started looking at the metrics on my website and it was like crickets. And I think I got a couple of orders off of that. So I think figuring out the marketing aspect of it, it's been the hard part of it. Um, luckily right now, like I said before, I'm not really trying to grow the business right now. And we have a lot of established customers that are big fans and we've, and they've done us right. We've done them right. But I would say, yeah, marketing is probably the hardest part of it. I mean, that's one of the things we're talking about a lot. I mean, as we're all solo business owners or most of us who are, you know, part of the chefs without restaurants and guests on the podcast, we're all in the same boat. I mean, I'm, I'm a chef. I'm trained as a chef. I'm not trained as a marketer and I don't really want to spend the money or have the money on a marketing agency. So how much of your day is dedicated to posting on Instagram, answering comments, doing, doing a Facebook ad, all that stuff. It's a lot of time, but I do enjoy it because I get to meet people like you, you know, I wouldn't have met you had I not been on Twitter trying to grow my audience and my network. So a lot of good comes out of it that way, but it is exhausting, especially once you do hit that level of, you know, I mean, I guess we're always kind of looking for more business, but once you're kind of not looking to grow it as much, how much do you continue to do? Yeah. Um, you have to wear a lot of hats, obviously, as a, as a small business owner, um, you have to pretty much be pretty much in charge of everything. And then, um, and yeah, how much time do you, do you dedicate to uh, one aspect of the business versus the other? And, and you want, obviously you want to make your time be use your time as most effectively as possible. And uh, then there's the added challenge of, you know, with social media, things can get twisted uh, so easily and get mis- misrepresented and stuff. So um, yeah, it's tough. So <laughs> that's pretty much all I have to say about that. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to leave our listeners with before we get out of here today? Well, uh, just uh, check us out on the website uh, and, and, and uh, see what we're up to. Uh, we pretty much have always have a Santa Barbara coffee. Uh, I've got some of that in stock all the time. I try to stock up on that as my regular coffee. Uh, but uh, I would say that the, the, you know, our focus is really on origins. We want, to, we want our uh, customers to experience uh, what it tastes like, the difference between a Costa Rica coffee and a Colombian coffee or Brazilian coffee. So we really want to focus on the coffee itself uh, and not necessarily blends. But uh, yeah, just check us out. Uh, you know, check out the, the brewing notes. Uh, we'll, you know, the brewing techniques we'll put in the show notes. And, um, and yeah, keep, and, and just find a local roaster no matter where you are in the world. I think the best improvement of your coffee is going to find a local, local roaster, small roaster, uh, you know, give back to them and keep brewing good coffee. Yeah. And we, we do have very comprehensive show notes, so that'll be in there. Everyone will be able to find your website. I'm definitely going to make sure I put in there your uh, ratio for brewing a cup of coffee. So I think that's some of the best stuff we could be sharing. All right. Well, appreciate it. And uh, thanks for reaching out and uh, giving me a chance to uh, you know, speak to uh, your listeners. Absolutely. So for all of our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.